0: Praise the Lord, you guys. This stuff is crazy. I don't know, it's been a couple months now. We've been locked down. Um, We're praying, the elders and myself, about when and where and how to resume continuing to meet again as a fellowship. And I know we have a ton of people listening by way of... uh, you know, the podcast we do through the week and so forth. And that's great. By the way, I have to say this because it was really encouraging. And I want to give thanks to those of you who are uh, pouring out your hearts, reaching people with the podcast messages. Because there are tens of thousands of podcasts out there. Thousands and thousands and thousands that do it under the umbrella of religion, spirituality, and so forth. Uh, And there's tens of thousands that have podcast shows like that around the world. And because you guys get the word out, and share it with one another. Last week, they only list the top 200 podcasts per, uh, on any given week as far as, you know, how many people listen in the audience. And what was it, 32, Tony? Number 32 in the nation? Our podcast show was number 32 in the nation. We only have a few people here <laughs> because of COVID-19, but praise God, amen, we can rejoice. That's pretty good. Uh, that's God, we've been praying. We're not about popularity, about God's truth, but it's really awesome that the word's getting out, you know? We had 30, we're number 32, and there it was. Tony and Chad were showing it to me a few days ago when we were doing podcasts, and it was 44 around the world. So that's really good. That means that people are hearing the word. That doesn't mean it's like that every week, but we had a really good week, and uh, we've only been doing these podcasts, you know, less than a year. We didn't do so many of them. We're over 100 now. So <laughs> I'm like, wow, in the winter, I'm tired, you know? <laughs> but it's a good thing. God is good. So we're in the book of Revelation. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 20. We've worked our way through the great white throne judgment, verses 11 through 15, where the books are opened. And the books that are opened, there's the books that are open, it mentions, and then there's the book of life. And the books that are open, it's from those books that the dead who come from Hades, because that's a temporary holding facility where people are sentenced right now, they're delivered up at the second resurrection. The first resurrection is blessed. That's the one that you and I are going to be part of. Amen. If you are trusting Jesus, blessed and holy are those who have partaken the first resurrection, which is over a thousand years earlier before the great white throne judgment. Those who are resurrected in the second resurrection uh, and they go before God's throne and we'll all be there because heaven and earth passed away right before this judgment. If you read the context and the new heaven and earth are made right after this judgment. So it seems to be suspended between the two creations. That's all that's there. And there's, the, you know, that we read about anyway, that's great white throne judgment. And anybody's, people are judged from out of those books. And the scriptures talk about how every secret thing will be judged. Those things that have been done in secret will be judged. And if their names are not written, verse 15 says, and it's a pretty powerful verse, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. And you read just before that, that Satan was thrown to the lake of fire, verse around 10. And Satan's thrown to the lake of fire a thousand years after, about a thousand years after the beast and false prophet are, and it says they're still there when Satan's thrown there. And now the rest of the wicked who are judged, a public judgment, whose names are not written in the book of life, are thrown in to the lake of fire. What's the application of this verse to the church? Or what's the application... Why does the Lord have this year, and why does he want us to be concerned about the book of life? How does that apply to you and me as believers? Well, first and foremost, whoever you are, you want to make sure your name is on the roll. You want to make sure your name is in the registry in heaven. Jesus told his uh, disciples to rejoice, the 70. It says, don't rejoice that you have power over the demons, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen? And you could rejoice that your name is written in heaven, that it's written in the book of life because obviously not everybody's name is written in the book of life. In fact, there's no scripture that teaches that all people, some say, oh, everybody's written in the book of life. No, show me one scripture that says everybody's name's written in the book of life. You can't find it. That's called eisegesis. That's reading into the Bible things that aren't there. So what's interesting here about this text is that it pertains to those whose names aren't there. How does this apply more specifically to the church? Well, we need to ask that question because it certainly does. Because Jesus has brought up the book of life in Revelation chapter three, verse five, the first time it's brought up in the book of Revelation. And in that book, well, actually there's six different times in the book of Revelation that you find the mention of the book of life. So it's interesting that The first time we see it is in Revelation chapter 3. Last week, we did part one of this little series called Staying in the Book of Life. Staying in the Book of Life. Now, uh, as I share this with you, I think it's very, very important that you pay attention because there's a lot of controversy because there's a lot of people that believe that God's predestined most of humanity to hell without a choice before they even existed, and they can't choose Christ even if you you think they'd want to, because they just don't have the ability to even respond to God's grace, even if he tries to wake them up until they're born again first, and he chose to not make most people born again, and just wants most people to be damned before they ever existed, and that he's predestined to select few, you know, to eternal life unconditionally, ultimately, before they existed, and that their names are in the book of life, and they could never be blotted out because he's predetermined that they would be saved before the foundation of the world. And therefore it wasn't based on his foreknowledge of their response to the grace of God, but by, by it was done unilaterally by divine fiat. Bam, you're in, you know, there's no way you're getting out, which is nonsense, what I call boulder dash, okay? When you look at what the scriptures say, it doesn't fit the, the scriptural warnings at all. And when your scriptures when scriptures don't fit into your system, you don't jettison or twist the scriptures to fit, you jettison your theology. But too many people, they just, you know, want to make everything fit. So right now, when you see a lot of the liberals, right, with a lot of the statistics on COVID-19 and so forth, they're just ignoring a lot of the stats, you know, because it doesn't fit their narrative. We want to make sure that we don't do that theologically, okay? I want to be very, very careful here. It's very, very important that we understand what Jesus is saying to the churches. In fact, we want to pay attention to what Jesus says to the churches because when we look at what he says to the church of Sardis at the very end of chapter, well, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the last verse in that little section, verse 6, he says, he has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You want to know what he's saying to the church of Sardis because it applies to us. And if we go through it briefly again, Revelation 3, 1 and 2, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. There were church that, man, it was like, wow, they, that church, man, they're doing things for Jesus. That's the reputation they had. But Jesus says, nah, nah, mm, you're dead. Okay. Then he says, wake up, verse 2, and strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. I mean, there's some spiritual life left, but it's, even what remains about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Okay? Works don't save us. faith We're saved by grace through faith, but faith without works is dead, and our works show us that the genuine works that we do are evidence that we know Jesus if we're, if we're walking in righteousness. But they're a dead church, not totally dead, because they need to strengthen the things that remain, we're told. Then in verse three we read, so remember... What you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. So remember what you've received and heard, meaning they did receive the gospel. This is a church that had a good start. They received the gospel, they heard it, uh, and then he says, and keep it and repent. I mean, guess what? You need to repent and go back to basically your first love. You need to go back to where you were when you began, when you first received the gospel, because many of them are backslidden. Even though they'd received the gospel, they'd fallen from their first state, and their need now of repentance again. Then the end of verse three says, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. Look at all Jesus' thief warnings, and when he comes like a thief, it's to destroy the wicked. And he warns his own apostles that they could suffer the same fate if they're not right with him when he returns. And so he tells the church of Sardis that they need to wake up and be watchful spiritually alive. Amen. This is serious stuff, you guys. Very, very serious stuff here. Verse four, but you have a few people in Sardis. That's a sad verse. Uh, There's just a few in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. See, it's not as though these others didn't have the garments of salvation because they had received the gospel, but they had soiled their garments. And he says, you have a few who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. So there's a few in the church who are overcoming, okay? They're overcoming. They're, they're following Jesus. They're trusting him. And they're sincere believers that are going forward. Not, no one's perfect, but these, you'd be able to, their spiritual pulses there. They've got a spiritual heartbeat. There's a few of them, okay? Then verse 5. He who overcomes... And how do you overcome? Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's the, the source of the grounds of our victory, what Jesus did on the cross for us, amen. That's the ultimate victory. But we have to trust him. We have to have faith in him, right? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, amen. We believe in our hearts that God raised from the dead and we confess with our mouths that he is Lord and we shall be saved, amen. So you overcome him because through what he did on the cross and also the weapons he's given to overcome. That's the ground of our victory, but the weapons are through the word of your testimony, And you love not your life even to the point of death. Meaning you hold on to the faith to the end. Jesus said, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Amen. Verse 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. So there's a lot of people not overcoming, right, in that church, right? They'd received, but they backslid. They soiled their garments. They would repent, get back, because they're not overcoming. So this promise doesn't pertain to them if they're not overcoming unless they repent unless they receive again and keep and repent, amen? He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's verses five and six. That's really clear. And if you got ears, man, to hear, you better have ears to hear what he says to the churches. You better listen to what he's saying to the church of Sardis because it's only the overcomers that have the promise that they will walk with him in white, that he won't blot out their names from the book of life, that he'll confess their names before the Father. Because the other ones are denying him. Titus 1.16 says, by their works, they deny him. You don't just deny him like Peter did with your mouth. And Peter was in big trouble, but he repented, okay? You could deny him with your lifestyle. You could live a wicked and perverse, rebellious lifestyle, and you could have a reputation. They had a reputation that they were alive, Right? Oh, that person loves Jesus. But you could have a secret life to where you're living a wicked life and doing a lot of wicked things, but saying you're a Christian, you have a reputation, oh, that guy loves Jesus, but guess what? He sees your heart. Is the Lord looking at your heart? Does he see a heart that's in rebellion to him? You need to get right. You need to wake up. You need to remember what you heard and had received. You need to repent, amen, and get right with the Lord because it's for the overcomer that he says... He will walk with me in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Now, how could something so clear be twisted to say this really isn't a concern that we could be blotted out of the book of life? Oh, but he promises he won't blot them out. He promises who he won't blot them out? Those who are overcoming. Not those who had received but then had fallen away. It's a promise to the overcomer, and it's to motivate those who aren't overcoming to get right so he doesn't come upon them like a thief. Amen? So he confesses their name because he finds it in his book and he hasn't blotted it out. Amen? Very, 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 very clear. In fact, uh, the Greek word, blotted out, it's actually, our English has a couple words, blotted out, the translation. But it's from a compound Greek word, which is just one word okay, which is uh, exile okay, exile you could write it out, E-X, okay, A-L-E-I-P-S-O, that's an English transliteration of the Greek, and it's actually from two Greek words, ek, and ek, we've studied ek a lot in this church before, because ek means, it's a preposition, means out from within, you know, out, so that's out, and then there's uh, aleipho, okay, and aleipho means to wipe, okay, or to obliterate. So we put those two words together, ek and alepho, and we get exalepso, which means literally to wipe out, to wipe off, to smear off, to obliterate. Okay? In fact, those that Greek word right there, that compound word, to turn into one, is used in Acts 319 of our sins being blotted out. Glorious verse. Repent therefore and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. That's actually a promise to the Jews if they'd repent. Peter's preaching uh, just after the day of Pentecost, you know, and telling them to repent so their sins can be blotted out. It's also translated blotted out in Colossians chapter 2, where the handwriting that was written against us has been blotted out, okay? The law that condemned us. We're not under the old covenant law. It's also used in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's translated wipe away. Uh, It's also used another place in Revelation 17 about God washing or wiping away our tears. And what beautiful promises that Christ's blood can what? Wash away our sins. And if we're believers, he washes out or wipes out our sins. Praise God for that, amen. We can stand before him and be saved. And praise God that one day he will wipe away our tears too, amen. But the same God who wipes away our sins, wipes out our sins, right? Wipes out our tears. Came with the same hand. Wipe out our names from the book of life. And we love the promises. We don't dispute the promises. Oh, yeah, praise God, because it just feels good. But when we see a warning, it doesn't fit with our lifestyle or our theology that allows for a wicked lifestyle, then we're like, hmm, how do I get around this? Hmm, how do I claim, you know, that uh, this really doesn't mean what it seems to imply? Don't do that. Just accept what the scriptures say. Quit lying to yourself. Jesus said he'd confess our names before the Father, right, if we confess him, and before the angels, too. In Matthew 10, he says, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven, okay? He can disown you. He tells his elect apostles that. Matthew 10, 33, the same chapter, he says, he that endures the end will be saved. Same chapter, he says, don't fear, who could destroy your body, but fear God to destroy your body and soul in hell. All these are warnings to his apostles in the same chapter. And guess what? Some people, they don't even see those things they, they, because their theology doesn't allow them to see these warnings. Jesus', Jesus warnings about needing to be right with God or you're going to go to hell are almost always, almost exclusively to his own elect apostles. Whew. Yet today, you never, never hear that stuff. Crazy. fact, the early church preached far differently than we do today. And when I say we, I don't mean each and every one of us. But uh, the church father, Cyril, Cyril of of Jerusalem, okay, he was a leader there at the church in Jerusalem in the 300s there. Listen to what he says in his uh, uh, catechetical uh, lecture number 14. Now may he himself, speaking of the Lord, the God of all, who is a father of the Christ and our Lord Jesus Christ who came down and ascended and sits together with the Father. Watch over your souls. Keep unshaken and unchanged your hope in him who rose again. He's encouraged them to keep their hope in him and may God keep it unchanged. And until that time arrive of his, uh, arrive of his glorious second advent, write all your names in the book of the living. And having written them, never blot them out. For the names of many who fall away are blotted out. For the names of many who fall away are blotted out. I'm on good ground, man. Because first and foremost, I look at what the scriptures clearly teach, and I just don't become politically correct or churchy correct. I want to be biblically correct. I want to stand before the Lord because I know there'll be different judgments. There'll be a judgment of the wicked at the great way Throw throne judgment. There'll be judgment of all believers when he comes back a thousand years b- before that. Amen? But it says in James chapter 3, verse 1, do not let many of you seek to be teachers, for you shall incur a stricter judgment. Teachers are going to have their own special strict judgment. And I'm very sober to those words. That's why I don't, don't dare come up, and I never have, never, ever have I ever stand in the pulpit in the hundreds and hundreds of times that I've preached without praying and seeking God earnestly. Lord, please use me to your glory. You know, may I not... Step to the left or the right. And it just blows me away that people could, and especially in Revelation 22, 18, and 19, it says not to add or take away to his word, from his word, amen? We don't want to soften his warnings because by taking away his warnings, people don't repent then if they don't see the warnings or they're explained away and they don't get right and their blood ends up on the hands of the teacher who says, no, you don't have to be concerned about being blotted out of the book of life. Really? Wow. Adam Clark he was the primary theologian that rode with uh, John Wesley, or I should say probably his most renowned uh, theologian. Very popular biblical commentator. You can read his commentaries online. A lot of times when you're looking up Bible verses, you know, online they'll have Adam Clark's commentaries. He writes this in regard to Revelation 3, 5. It is not evident that a soul could not, listen to this, it is not, <laughs> is, it, is it not evident that a soul could be blotted out of a book in which it had never been written? And it is not farther, is it not farther evident from, and he's referring, he refers to Exodus 32, that though a man be written in the book, if he sins, he may be blotted out. He's just looking at the scripture. Scripture is very clear because there's different scriptures that make it very clear that God blots certain names out of the book of life. I can show you that people's names were blotted out in the Old Testament and in the New. I can show that to you. Who, who, whose name in the New Testament or names were blotted out? Do you know? And those of you who've been in theology for years and years and years and years, many of you are saying, hmm, the New Testament. We'll get there. Both Testaments, you see people blotted out. Okay? And by the way, I'm going to give you an argument against this idea that everybody's predetermined that saved has been predetermined to be saved. And once they're saved, they're always saved no matter what. And these warnings are just, you know, just misunderstood. They don't really mean what they say. I'm gonna give it, a, 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 this, this teaching on the book of life that I did last week and this week, and we'll have one, maybe two more me- messages on this. It's irrefutable evidence that, yes, you can, the Bible is very clear, you can forfeit your salvation, that you can commit apostasy, that you can have your name written in the book of life and then have it expunged, that you could once have been saved And forget that you're even cleansed from your past sins, 2 Peter chapter 1. That you can make shipwreck of your faith, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. That you can be cut off from the salvation tree, the apostle Paul, Romans chapter 11. That Jesus said to his own apostles that if they didn't abide in him, they could be cut off as branches from the vine and thrown into the fire and burned. We can go on and on and on. But I think what we have before us is focusing on the book of life and what the book of Revelation, since we're going through the book of Revelation verse by verse, what the Bible says about this and how serious it is that the application for us, first and foremost, make sure your name is in the book. Secondly, make sure your name stays in the book. Make your calling and election sure. Amen? So what I'm going to give you is a bulletproof argument Against once saved, always saved. Here's seven points that I wrote out. And I wrote these seven points out this morning. I preached on this long ago. And uh, I didn't want it to be all the same stuff, man. Before I get to those seven points, this is a commentator, a pretty popular commentator. Joseph Benson states, quote, this passage, Revelation 3, 5, which promises that the overcomers, those who haven't soiled their garments, you know, those who aren't in need of repentance, but are continuing to follow Jesus. This passage plainly implies that some names shall be blotted out from the book of life. Thank you, Mr. Benson, being honest with the text. This is some who, in the consequence of their adoption and regeneration, were entitled to and fitted for eternal life, shall, through falling from grace, lose these blessings and come again under guilt, condemnation, and wrath. Wow. Listen to these seven points, which I believe are unassailable, that make it bulletproof when you're dealing with someone who's caught in a lifestyle. And many, many, you know this, man. We have people, you know, moving to different states and so forth. And one thing we hear over and over and over again, they keep running to other Christians, professing Christians, who are living wicked lives lifestyles. You know, they're getting drunk at the bars every other word's the F word the f-word, you know, and they meet them at work, and they're chasing women, fornicating often, or even in adultery, and a lot of them just believe they're saved, because they've been taught once they're saved, they're always saved. They don't get warned about, well, your garments are soiled, man. You need to wake up and repent, you know, or he's going to come on you like a thief. No, not me. I mean, right here, it happens in California. too. you think it'd happen more in California. But a lot of Christians in California are on the front lines. So it's interesting. A lot of, you're, You kind of know whether you're going to follow or not. It's not like a cultural thing like some states. It's like, if you're following Jesus, you've got to be serious. Well, not totally true. There's a lot of people that aren't still because of false doctrine. And I was witnessing, street witnessing, outside of a movie theater. And my wife was with me. A few of us were there. And this was a lot of times we go to different places. But th- we were going for quite a while here in Simi Valley. And that's where you see people come out. And there's a guy just, just totally stoned. I mean, he was the most stoned guy I saw that night. Reminded me of myself before I knew Jesus. Had these headphones on. I could hear heavy metal music. It was back when heavy metal was really popular. Uh, just bla- I, from a distance, like Iron Maiden. I'm like, he's coming toward me. And he's like, just out of the theater. I'm like, wow. I said, hey, man. And I started talking about Jesus. And I, he was visibly staggering. He's like, turns the music down. He goes, oh, I know Jesus. You know, my dad's a pastor. Okay. His dad, he says, is a Plymouth Brethren pastor. Not from here in town, but another Plymouth Brethren. And I was like, man, I go, you realize that Paul said drunkards will not inherit God's kingdom. And he said, he held out his hand, he goes, Jesus said, no one could pluck me out of his hand. Ah, my heart broke. I told him, that's a promise. You know, that's a promise for who, guys? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, present tense, and they follow me. They follow Jesus. That's a sheep. Amen? A sheep can harden his heart and go astray, though. Right? But it's for those who hear his voice, present tense, and follow him that no one can pluck us out of his hands. And no, harpazo, nobody can pluck us out of his hands. But John 15, a few chapters later, Jesus says, if you don't abide in me, foam, you'll be cut off and you'll be thrown in the fire and burned. Amen? No man can pluck you out, but Jesus can cut you off. And I took him to Luke chapter 12 and I showed him where the drunkard, the Lord says, talks about that good and faithful servant who's giving out his meat, the the word of God in due season. But if that servant, that good and faithful servant, that refers to him, says, oh, my Lord delays his coming, begins to beat the maidservants, get drunk with the drunkards, I'll come at a time when he's not ready and I'll cut him in pieces and put him with the unbelievers. And I said, you know where the unbelievers go? Revelation 21.8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, you know, all liars, you know, idolaters, their places in the lake that burns with fire, which is second death. He sobered up before my eyes. Thank you, Lord. And he said, wow, I really got to look at that. He'd never heard these things before. And I'm telling you right now, you read the scripture, you'll fear God. But if you have popular teachers filter the scripture for you, your fear of God will diminish radically often. So the seven points I'll make. First of all, the seven points that I'll give you, okay? Not all in this message will be bolstered, but many of them. First of all, according to several passages that we'll look at in this series, only the righteous have their names written in the book of life. That's very, very clear. We'll see that. Only the righteous have their names written in the book of life. And the, lost, the names that lost those who never come to Christ are never entered in the book. There's no evidence of that anywhere. Number two, second, Most of the church of Sardis is backslidden and apostate after having received the gospel but failing to keep it. Indisputable. We just read the text. Number three. It is clear that only the overcomers will not have their names blotted out of the book of life. Amen? Verse five. Number four. Those who fail to be overcomers have their names blotted out and are denied by Jesus before the Father. Amen? Because he only confesses the names of the faithful. Number five, the book of Revelation contrasts overcomers with apostates who are called cowardly. The overcomers in Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, who inherit the heavenly things, but for the cowardly. And that's a word that has to do with recanting your faith turning your back on Jesus because of fear of man. And the fear of man is a snare. The book of Revelation contrasts the overcomers with apostates who are called the cowardly, who recant their faith during times of persecution and are sentenced to the lake of fire according to Revelation twenty-one 8. They're, on that, they're in the first, the first names on the list of those who go to the lake of fire among the whoremongers, the sorcerers, those who practice pharmakeia and porneo. You know? The first on the list are the cowards. The Lord's saying, hey, don't be a coward, man. Don't deny my name. Amen. (sighs) Number six, if names are never erased, why does Jesus give the promise that the names of overcomers will not be erased? You understand? (laughs) If names are never erased, you know, why would Jesus give the promise that the overcomers' names will not be erased? And number seven, Exodus chapter 32 and Psalm chapter 69 make it crystal clear that the Lord does indeed blot names out of the book of life. Okay. Now, I talked about the background. In many cities, they had these registries, these roles with people's names on it who lived in that city. And I mentioned there were three reasons you could be blotted from that role. One was if you forsook the kingdom and moved to another kingdom. A second reason was committing capital offenses, murder, so forth. The third reason was if you died. When you died, they'd expunge your name. You're no longer part of the kingdom, you're dead. That's the background, the the, the background in the Greco Roman world of the time, and among the Jews, many of the Jews where they lived. But there's a spiritual application of that because we learn long before they're in that Greco-Roman system where you have these type of roles, they know from the Old Testament that God had a book and the names of the righteous, God puts the righteous in that, those, that book according to Psalm 69. So now think this through with me, very important, very important that we follow this, we understand this and I think it's pretty simple to understand there'll be some rough spots where we have to use our brains a little more, but this is very, very important to understand that if you died, they'd erase your name from the book. What is Jesus dealing with? You have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. Strength those things that remain and are ready to die, right? Remember what you received, right? What you heard and you received, right? Right, wake up and repent, Because they're on the verge of spiritual death. And if you die spiritually, you'll be blotted out from the kingdom. But he that overcomes, amen, he'll he'll be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Are you with me? I'm dealing with the context, folks. Okay, the context is really, really strong when you look at the warning to the the promise slash warning to the church of Sardis. Because they're on the brink of spiritual death. Some of them, it appears, are already dead spiritually. They died. But there's some that, you know, are close, straight those things that remain, that are ready to die. And then there's those few overcomers whose names won't be blotted out. And their garments are soiled with sin. So there's these capital offenses, right? There's there's the forsaking the Lord and his kingdom doing their own thing, even though the reputation is that they're alive, they're really dead, they're not really seeking the things of the kingdom. And then the verge of spiritual death. And they have to repent so he can... Confess their names before the Father rather than deny their names because of their denial of Him. Because Titus 1 16, by their works, they denied him. they denied him. However, last week I mentioned that there are many popular teachers that teach that it doesn't matter what you do, you can every blood out of the book of life. Serious, serious stuff. And I'm not picking on any specific teachers, it's just I take the ones that are most popular. And last week, I quoted John MacArthur, but I want to quote a couple others uh, today. I'll quote John again a couple times and add a little bit to what he said. Uh, John MacArthur says, under no circumstances will he ever erase those names. No circumstances? Really? Your salvation was sealed before the world began. God may take your life for sin, but he will never take your salvation. You catch that? Wow. Under no circumstances, I mean, it doesn't matter what sins that you commit. According to John MacArthur, if he chose you from before the foundation of the world, and your name was in the book of life, and you take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved in the end. He teaches that. That there are those who take the mark of the beast and they'll end up being saved in the end. Even though the Bible in Revelation chapter 14 says if anyone, which is warning us too, Not just non-believers. If anyone, it says, takes the mark of the beast, Revelation 14, he'll have no rest day and night forever and ever. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. So he says, under no circumstances will he ever erase those names. Your salvation was sealed before the world began. In other words, he believes that God predestined certain people to be saved no matter what they do. Oh, and if they sin, he'll just cut their lives short and take them to heaven. That's the worst kind of license, by the way. You know how many people would love to hear that they could just sin radically and start you know, chasing girls and having sex with a bunch of girls and rob people and, and that God will just take them early and they get heaven? That's a reward. Ha! That's a reward. Getting heaven early. But they can't fall away. There's no circumstances. Of course, he doesn't give scripture to prove this. Does it give a scripture that says, under no circumstances will your name ever be brought out of the book of life? There isn't such, but there are scriptures that say, your name can be brought out of the book of life. This is serious stuff. MacArthur says, there is nothing that you could ever make, he puts these words in Jesus' mouth. There is nothing that could ever make me take your name out of the book. I'll never erase it out of my book. That's security, That's John MacArthur putting words in Jesus' mouth that make Jesus contradict the warnings in the New Testament and and the Old Testament regarding this subject. Don't add or take away to this book, John. Don't add or take away to this book. Jesus said for the overcomer, which were there only a few at Sardis, because they were overcomers, their names would not be blotted out of the book of life. you know, I have a few kids and more grandkids than I have kids now. And what if I told the grandkids, you know, that I was going to go to take some of them on a hike. And a few of them were throwing temper tantrums. Okay. And I warned them. I warned them very clearly that there's times I've Said, I'll take you for a hike, but there's times where I said, I, I'm not going to you if you're bad. If you're throwing temper tantrums and you're mean to each other and fighting with each other. And then guess what? All the grandkids, but one, two, let's make it two, are in this horrible fight. And I say, hey, you guys, stop, you know? Love each other, just be patient with each other. And they turn a sneer at me and they use bad language, which has never happened, thank God, you know? And they start throwing things at each other. And then they all cry because they know the hike might be over. And I say, hey, whoever has been doing what I've asked, I'm going to take on the hike still. Does that mean that the others are going on the hike still? <laughs> yes or no? No, the implication is obviously not. And Jesus tells those who are overcoming, their names will be written and will be, uh, not be blotted out of the book of life. Yet MacArthur says, there's nothing that, you could, ever, that, that could ever make me Uh, make me take your name out of my book. Who said make him? He's not forced. It's his sovereign choice because of his sovereign will and what he's already revealed about his character in scripture that if we deny him, he will deny us. And he's faithful to his character under no circumstances. John Piper, another popular Calvinist out there, he uses some double talk here which is kind of confusing when I'm reading it. Listen to this. I don't think... And this is somebody in this church. And John MacArthur gets us two people asking this church. What about the verses? And this person says, what about all the verses that say that you can be blotted out of the book of life? And John MacArthur says he gets the same question. That's because these are people in the church saying, wait, what he's saying doesn't square with what I'm reading. And Piper's asked that question. I don't think it ever says you can be blotted out, he says. Really? At least not in the sense that sometimes God does it. <laughs> what does that mean? It says... We will be blotted out if we, fall, if we fail to meet certain conditions. You hear that? It says we will be blotted out if we fail to meet certain conditions. Well, we agree with that. That's why I said there's a lot of double talk here. Now, whether that ever happens or in God's sovereignty can happen is another question. In other words, maybe there's warnings there that you have to meet certain conditions or blot you out, but whether God really does that because he believes your you don't really have a choice in your salvation, Right? And you're not going to be blotted out, but he sees the warnings. So he's trying to square the warnings. I feel sorry for these guys, actually. They're constantly trying to square the New Testament warnings, which acknowledge human responsibility in regard to salvation, and trying to square it with a rigid, a deterministic theology, where everything's predetermined. It doesn't work, because it's not a static relationship where we're following a script like robots and make decisions based on predetermination. It's an influence and response relationship where we are held responsible and without excuse if we don't repent and turn to the Lord and receive his grace, amen? Popular radio and television teacher, Charles Stanley, one of those popular teachers out there for many years, says the good news is God, God's pencil has no eraser. This is a book I have that I've read, page 182. I read this a long time ago. I have it heavily underscored, dog-eared. The good news is God's pencil has no eraser. You know what scripture he uses for that? to show that God's pencil has no eraser? Zero. They don't exist. Sally suggests in a footnote, I was just reading this again yesterday, that in his book, it's called Eternal Security, Can You Be Sure? By the way, in this book, he teaches in chapter 10 of this book that you could turn against Christ as a false Messiah and reject him as an imposter and you have nothing to fear. Whew. Read Revelation or read Hebrews chapter 10. You see, that's not true. But he says, Revelation 3 5, the promise that the overcomers' names will not be blotted out of the book of life, but be confessed. He says, uh, This is a, a Lytotis, okay? Uh, a, a Lytotis is a, uh, well, he says, a Lytotis is an understatement. He suggests this. And this is footnote on page 183. A litotes is an understatement in which an affirmative is expressed. An affirmative is expressed by the negative of the contrary. Okay, so he's trying to reduce it to a figure of speech. It's just a figure of speech. Doesn't mean or imply that if you're not overcoming, you'll be blotted out of the book of life. Wow. He goes on to write. No one needs to live with fear that his or her name will be erased in the book of life sometime in, the future, sometime in the future. But if that is the case, Revelation 3.5 is no longer a problem. Revelation 3.5 never was a problem. It's us humans that are the problem, not God's word. It's a problem to his theology. Okay? Because it contradicts his theology so as to find ways around it, like saying, maybe it's just a figure of speech. Maybe that's what's going on there. Don't hang your salvation on a teacher who claims this may be a figure of speech, and don't bet that you can sew your garments, you can commit apostasy, you can go to sleep spiritually, and then you won't be blotted out of the book of life because popular radio TV teacher says it may just be a figure of speech. Amen? This brought to my thinking again, the solemn words of that great 19th century Baptist expositor, by the way, uh, Charles Stanley is a popular Baptist, uh, Alexander McLaren was the, called the Prince of Preachers, you know, another Baptist. Not all Baptists have the same views, by the way. And I quoted him at length, a long quote, but I want to just, I, sh- I shorten that quote up because he gives a great warning with regard to what's happened all over the place in the church today when they're excising these warnings. Rather than being concerned that their names be blotted out if they don't overcome, they're blotting out the warnings, okay? Alexander McLaren, I quote him again. Listen to this. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. That is a solemn and tremendous claim that Christ's finger can write and Christ's finger can erase a name from the register. Theological exigencies, and I love that part. Theological exigencies compelled our fathers to deny that. But surely the words of our text are too plain to be neglected or misunderstood. It is, it is possible that a name, like the name of a dishonest attorney, shall be struck off the rolls. Do not let any desire for theological symmetry blind you. And that's what he would consider what John MacArthur and Piper are doing. They're trying to make the scriptures fit with their Calvinism. Don't make, your, don't make the scriptures fit with your Calvinism. Make your life fit with the scriptures and jettison your Calvinism. Do not let any desire for theological cemetery blind you, brother, to that fact. Brethren, it is the victors whose names are kept upon the roll. These people at Sardis had a name to live, and they thought their names were in the book of life. And when it was opened, lo, a blot. Powerful words. I don't usually quote people twice back to back. Alexander McLaren is one of the few guys that gets that, because <laughs> that's great. I didn't quote the whole thing I quoted last week. So we need to be very, very careful. And that's basically what Stanley's doing. He's using theological exigencies. He's trying to make it fit his theology. Now, he's different than Piper and MacArthur. John Piper and MacArthur believe wrongly that God's predestined certain people without using his foreknowledge of who would receive him or not. We believe God predestined us according to foreknowledge. It says that we're elected according to God's foreknowledge. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. It says, him, we, who, him who we foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. He foreknows, because God's all-knowing, he knows the whole future, who's gonna receive the gospel and who's not. And he predestined us based on his knowledge. He predestines the plan. Some like to say he predestines the, the plan, but not the man. No, biblically, he predestines the plan and the man, Okay. That's why names can be written in the book of life before the foundation of the world, because God knows individuals. It's not just the plan. It's just not corporate election, although there is corporate election. We are chosen in Christ. The plan was for whoever will, whoever come to Jesus, amen? Because Jesus is the chosen one. Then we're chosen to him, and he knows who's going to respond to Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior, and then we're part of the chosen one, amen? His plan for the foundation of the world. But individually, specifically, and particularly, he moved on us individually by his Holy Spirit, and his foreknowledge, he knew he would do that, and he related to us individually, drawing us to Christ by his Spirit, but we had to respond, because Jesus says, will the Father, the Son of Man be lifted up, and all men be drawn to him, but not everybody responds, and will receive the drawing, amen? So, it's important for us to understand that. MacArthur and Piper believe that you can't be by the book of life because they have a theology that says everything's predetermined, which is based basically in the early church. There was a great heresies going on and you had all this belief, the Stoics, okay, the the Manichaeans, they all believed in this heavy idea that everything was predetermined. And they were considered the Gnostic, not the Stoics, but the Manichaeans were one of the Gnostic cults. The early church fathers weren't teaching that form of determinism. They taught that every, they didn't teach determinism. But the influence came from Augustine, who was a Manichaean Gnostic for 10 years. And then it came, went from him a 1,000 years later to John Calvin, who said he could build all his theology on the statements of John Calvin, of Augustine, who was influenced by the Gnostics. So that's where that determinism comes. So they believe everything's predetermined. Therefore, how could he be brought up a life? Where Charles Stanley doesn't believe that everything's predetermined. He, does, he rejects that form of Calvinism. But he does believe that you freely receive Christ and God knows who will receive you based on his foreknowledge. But he believes after you receive Christ, then you're predestined to stay in the book no matter what. That's where it kicks in for him. So a little bit different things going on there. I don't want to take too much in time and, and being finding precision uh, with regard to their beliefs because I want to cover more text from the scripture. But Charles Stanley, you know, uh, these guys... Now, Charles Stanley, I'm going to give you some of his quotes because I think they're, they're very, very important. He says, you get, Revelation 3.5 is no longer a problem if you just look at it as a figure of speech, right? Wrong. Okay. Stanley declares, listen to this. Stanley declares, listen. It doesn't make any difference how wicked and how vile you act. He says you won't lose your salvation. Quote, it doesn't make any difference how wicked or how vile you act. You can never be bought out of the book of life. So, those fallen, lapsed believers at Sardis, if he was able to preach there, and they'd be like, whoa. The bishop of Sardis, you know, the elder at Sardis, you know, reads the epistle when he first receives it to the church of Sardis because Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches and he gave them the entire book of Revelation. And they're fear and trembling, like, man, we better get our lives right. We're not overcoming, man. We've been our 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 faith has been a sham, you know. We received Christ, it's, yeah, like the letter says, but our hearts got hard. We turned away, man. You know, he's going to, he's going to, we know the overcomers in this church that are serious about God. They love, the, they, they reach out to the lost. They, they live for Jesus. They're excited about him. But man, we're in, we're in trouble. He's going to come on like a thief, it says. Oh, no. Then they get a Charles Stanley tape or the book that I have, Eternal Security. Can you be sure? And they're like, hey, wait a minute. Look what Charles Stanley says. It doesn't matter how wicked or act, vile we act, we don't need to be concerned about our names being blah, 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 life. That's serious stuff. In Jude verse four, it warns that certain men have crept into the church unaware, who are turning the grace of God into a license for immorality. In his message entitled "God, the Holy Spirit, Our Helper," Charles Stanley promises that one may quote sin like the devil. Right? And he says he won't. They won't lose their salvation. He says they could sin like the devil, and they'll just they'll just you know lose some of the Lord's blessings. Really? How about the blessing of being written in the book of life? <laughs> wow, this is serious, serious stuff. You could sin like the devil under no circumstances, nothing you could do. MacArthur, Stanley, can, you can even take the mark of the beast. And if your name's in the book, you'll be saved in the end. Now, last week I quoted this from John MacArthur but now I'm going to quote some interesting quotes that respond to this quote from others who believe like he does that there's that, you know, in a former once saved, always saved. By the way, keep in mind, he is not saying if you're chosen, you're predestined, you automatically live a holy life, which he does say sometimes. He says you can sin really bad under no circumstance, nothing you could do, though, it would, would cause you to have your name be blotted out of life, but he may take your life early for, you know, because of your sin. So he's also preaching basically that you couldn't continue to sin, you'll just be taken early. Now, remember, MacArthur says this I need to explain this because people ask this all the time. Someone says he I will not erase or he says, being Jesus, I will not erase his name from the book of life. By the way, he doesn't give the context, it's a promise to the overcomer. Keep that in mind people say to me does this mean that God might erase my name from the book of life I can't believe people ask that question because the verse says I will not erase his name from the book of life really the person that comes and asks that question that's what Jesus said about his name no that's not what Jesus said about the name of the person asking you don't know how that person's living that promise was to those who are overcomers okay what would make someone think that he might when he just said he won't How can you turn a promise into a threat? This doesn't imply that God puts names in and takes them out at random. By the way, that's another straw man I pointed out last week. Whoever said he takes them out at random, right? He takes them out if you rebel against him and you die spiritually. However, a number number of people that believe once you're saved, you'll always be saved, MacArthur believes that, disagree with what he's saying there. In fact, the former president of the Dallas Theological Seminary John Walford wrote about the possibility of having one's name blotted out of the book of life as being definitely implied in chapter three, verse five. Walward says, some have indicated that there is no explicit statement here that anyone will have his name blotted out, but rather the promise that his name will not be blotted out because of his faith in Christ. The implication, however, is such, is such that it is a possibility. Okay, now John MacArthur says, well, Listen to this. This is Robert L. Thomas, okay? I have his commentaries, uh, two big volumes of the book of Revelation. He was the professor of the New Testament at Master's College. He was a co-founder of Master's Seminary, where John MacArthur's president. In fact, John MacArthur recruited him from the seminary where John MacArthur was taught because he was John MacArthur's Greek teacher. And listen to him bring correction to John MacArthur's viewpoint, Robert Thomas, Robert L. Thomas, says, of John MacArthur's view and people, others that hold that view, he's not specifically talking about John MacArthur, but those that hold that view, it fails to deal with the important factor, the promise to the overcomer is an empty one, unless the possibility exists that such a blotting out could occur. Amen and amen. What incentive is furnished by being promised deliverance from something that could not happen? <laughs> right? And not blotting referred to in this verse must, more, uh, must be more than a figure of speech. Ooh, deals with Stanley there too. And Hodges and some of those guys that are part of the, you know, cheap grace movement. So the possibility of having one's name erased from the book is real and needs to be accounted for in connection with a promise in Revelation 3.5. So says Robert L. Thomas on page 261 through 263 of uh, the first volume of his exegetical commentary on the book of Revelation. J. William, J. William Fuller, who wrote an article for Jets, which is the journal of the Evangelical Theological Society, states, a command that everyone keeps is superfluous and a reward that everyone receives for a virtue that everyone has is nonsense. Interesting. So let's ask the question, does God have an eraser? Does God blot out names? Go to Exodus chapter 32. First time you mention, we we see uh, the book of life in the Holy Scripture. It's interesting. Moses had ascended the mount. They're waiting for him to return. He's going to receive the Ten Commandments. And it says, when they saw that he delayed his coming, they began to have like, an orgy, you know, worship a golden calf, fell into radical sin and idolatry, depravity. And by the way, that's a picture of what's happening now. Jesus talked about those who say the Lord delays his coming, and they're professing to be believers, but they're living wicked lives and turn to paganism in the name of Christ. And look, look at the warning here. It applies to them as well. They don't turn back. Moses says in chapter 32, verse thirty. One, and verse 32. Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from thy book, which thou hast written. Wow. Moses wasn't Calvinist. (laughs) Moses knew his name was in the book of life, and Moses knew that his name could be blotted out but God was gonna blot his name out for what these other folks had done, okay? Does God reply by saying, Moses, haven't you read Charles Stanley's book that I don't have an eraser? No, it doesn't say that. In fact, on the contrary, the Lord emphatically states just the opposite, verse 33 and 34. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book, but go now lead the people where I told you to. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Wow. Wow. That's Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Talks about idolaters and how their place will be in the lake of fire. Okay. And no wonder John says in 1 John five twenty one, little children, guard yourselves from idols. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about how he beats his body down in chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, so after he's preached the gospel of salvation to others, he himself would not be rejected, a dakamas. Then he talks, says, moreover, chapter 10, verse 1, that God led them through the Red Sea when he brought them out of the Egypt to the, on the way to the promised land, right? And they, ate from the, they drank from the spiritual rock, Amen. They were baptized in the sea of Moses. They drank from the spiritual rock, which he says was Christ. They had all these experiences, right, of Christ. Yet with many of them, he was not pleased. And he talks about different incidents where he wiped them out because of idolatry and gross sin. And then Paul said, these things were written down as examples so we don't fall in the same way that they did. Then he says, keep yourselves from idols. Flee idolatry. Amen? So these things that we read in the Old Testament pertain to us today. We're supposed to draw a line. When we read the book of life, where do we learn about the book of life? We shouldn't be taking notes from Charles Stanley. We should be saying, what does the scripture say? How do the scriptures fit together? When they read about the book of life and the overcomers not being blotted out, what would they understand from the book of life having read the scripture before? They know in the Old Testament that, hey, Moses said, it blot me out. But guess what? God said, no, I'm going to blot them out. Amen? And they know, wow, this is a possibility. And they'd say, wow, Paul draws a line from the New Testament Christian to the Old Testament experiences and says, These things were written down so you don't fall in the same way they fell. And he warns them in chapter 6 in the same book, verses 9 and 10, that if you live wicked lifestyles, you will not inherit God's kingdom. That's even scarier than not entering the promised land. We're talking about God's promised land. Amen? This is all very, very important. All very, very important. Now, it's interesting Bible says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God for our God is a consuming fire. In the Old Testament says that, but I would just quote it to you was Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 and chapter 12, verse 29. It's also in the New Testament. Now we also can turn to Psalm chapter 69. Go to cha- Psalm chapter 69 if you have your Bible. And listen to what David prays in cha- Psalm 69, verses 27, 28. Charge them with crime upon crime. Notice he says them. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of your, of, listen to this, may they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Did you catch that? Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation because the book of life is a book of salvation. It's life, eternal life. May they be blotted out of the book of life, and not be listed with the righteous. So notice the book of life is the names of the what? The righteous. Not everybody. It's got the righteous in it, and it has to do with salvation. It's the book of life, and he prays that may may they be blotted out of the book of life. He's praying about his persecutors. He's praying about apostates that hate Yahweh, okay, that turn away from Yahweh. Now, John MacArthur uses a theological exigency, the very theological exigencies which Alexander McLaren warned about. MacArthur erroneously claims that Exodus chapter thirty-two, verse thirty-three and Psalm chapter sixty-nine, verse twenty-eight, which both show that names have been blotted up with life. Okay, he states, "Quote the threat then is not eternal damnation, but physical death." Without he says it's not physical, it's not spiritual damnation. It's just physical death. That's all God's concerned about there. That's more exegesis, reading into the text things that aren't there by John MacArthur. Wrong, I'm sorry. I gotta make these things straight. Because I know there's tons of people that Jesus wants to get his words, his promises, warnings to, they're not getting them because of the false teachings that are going on these days, that are serious. I don't condemn John MacArthur, I put him before God. Okay, I know he has a lot of really good solid things, but I also know there's some very, very serious things And I'm not the one who judges him. God is, but I'm like, this is serious stuff. Now, it's interesting. He says, the threat then is not eternal damnation, but physical death. Remember he said earlier in the New Testament, oh, we won't blot your name out of the book of life. Now, here he blots it out, but it's just the book of the physically living. What? The physically living among the community of Jewish believers. Oh, really? He says, may there not be written with the righteous. May they not come into your salvation. He's talking about more than physical life. Okay, interesting. Robert L. Thomas, the professor of New Testament at MacArthur's Master's Seminary before he died, who taught John MacArthur Greek, stated that, quote, the distinction, he's talking about the distinction between uh, uh, different alleged books, the Book of Life in the Old Testament and the New Testament that John MacArthur is trying to make. He goes, this distinction is arbitrary. However, consistency, 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 he says, demands that both refer to spiritual death. Amen. Amen. You're just adding things, John, because you don't want the text to say what it says because you're more concerned about your theology, which is very man-made, than the words of the Lord. I'm sorry, that's what it amounts to. Charles R. Smith surveyed 16 passages in scripture on the book of life and related passages and concluded that the Old Testament refers to several divine registers, or books. It is, he, says, wrote, he says, it is unlikely that any refer to mere physical life alone. Rather, all specify the recipients of special divine blessings. Charles Stanley, Charles Stanley trying to explain away these warnings, says David simply wants their lives shortened, just wants their lives shortened, it would be rather disconcerting to think that a man, after God's own heart, would pray for the removal of someone's name from the Lamb's book of life. If you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. Really? How about if the Lord, how about if the Lord's will, he said, if, if that people reject him and hate him, they'd be blotted out of his book, which he stated in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 32 and 33, right? That's his will, okay? His will is that everybody would come to him and be saved, Amen. But there's an antecedent will that if you reject him and hate him, then that you receive divine judgment because he's a just God. Amen. But David doesn't pray, send them to hell. Okay. He says, may they be blotted out of the book of life and may they not be recorded with the righteous. Oh, well, it's just physical death. Um, no. If you're not in the book of life, It says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, anybody whose name was not written book of life went where? To the Lake Havasu? Lake Tahoe? Lake Shasta? No, the Lake of Fire! This is serious stuff! Serious, serious, serious stuff, guys! Wow! And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the Lake of Fire, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Thus saith the word of God, Okay, this is serious stuff. Now, by the way, Jesus is high priestly prayer, you know. He prayed. Listen to what he prayed after Judas went to betray him. Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. This is right before his crucifixion after Judas betrayed him. He said, Father... The hour has come to glorify your son and the son that my son may glorify you, even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. He gives eternal life to everyone who comes to him, right? And everyone that's been given to him. And he says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. He's talking about his apostles, which you have given me and I guarded them and not one of them has perished, but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Catch that? None of the apostles perished at that point except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. What scriptures were to be fulfilled? If you read Acts chapter one, verse 16, you see it's the Holy Spirit that inspires them to replace Judas. And we read, in, uh, we read this in Acts 1, 16. Peter says, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no man dwell in it and his office let another man take. Guess what? One of those passages is quoting Psalm 69. The passage where David prays, may their names be blotted out of the book of life. May they not come into the salvation. May they not be written to the righteous. Judas's name was in the book of life. I say the Old Testament is the, uh, Exodus uh, chapter 32, 32 and 33, verses 32 and 33, Psalm 69. But Psalm 69 applies to the New Testament. Judas' names blotted out of the book of life. Peter says the Holy Spirit said this, and it was a fulfillment of Psalm 69. He quotes a couple different passages, one from Psalm 69, which is the same passage where he's praying that their names be blotted out of the book of life. Oh, well, then it's just Judas. No. It's not may his name be blotted out. Singular, it's their names. There's more than his name that will be blotted out. Read Revelation 3.5. There's many who soil their garments that need to repent or their names will be blotted out. Are you with me? This is so clear. It says Judas fell from his apostleship and another replaced him. It says he went to his own place. He didn't go to heaven. He's a son of perdition, the son of destruction. And his name was blotted out of the book of life according to Psalm 69 and Acts chapter one. When you compare the verses... This is heavy stuff. So, how does this apply to your life? Revelation 3, one, do Don't be a hypocrite. To the angel of the church and Sardis write, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the uh, I'm sorry. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds and you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Okay? Don't be a hypocrite. Make sure that you're not living off your reputation. Make sure you're living off of every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father, amen? Make sure you're living by the word of God and following the Lord. Chapter, verse two, wake up. He says, wake up and strengthen things that remain. You need to wake up. Make sure you're not like the 10 virgins who fell asleep and make sure, especially you're not like the five virgins who fell asleep and had no oil. And it was too late when they did wake up because he had already come. And they knock and they let us in because they didn't have any oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. They don't have the light because the lamps give light. And the, your word is the lamp to my feet and the light unto my path. They don't have any of that. And they finally find if it's too late, they couldn't find their way there. They knock and the Lord says, and I don't know you. He didn't say I never knew you there because he knew them. He said, I don't know you. Didn't let them in. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 2, Church of Sardis. And strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God, okay? You need to strengthen what remains, okay? Strengthen what remains. I don't care how weak you are spiritually, strengthen it now. How do you strengthen your physical muscles? You work out, amen? How do you strengthen your faith? Okay, you exercise your faith, amen? Read the word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, amen? Okay, you read the gospel. You read his message to you, his love letter to you, Amen? And he'll strengthen you. Seek the Lord in prayer. Return to your first love. Do those things you did at first. Okay? In fact, in Jude verses 1, 20, I'm sorry, Jude chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, you can also strengthen your faith through prayer. Pray and seek the Lord. But you, beloved, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God as you await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Okay? To bring you eternal life? Yeah, because we have life, we have eternal life, yet we're still to inherit eternal life. We're secure in Christ, but guess what? You better be in Christ. And you're not ultimately eternally secure until you're securely in eternity. So you wanna make sure you're putting your faith in the Lord. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Cry out to the Lord. Respond to his word. That's how you came to faith in the first place. Now just grow those things that remain Stay in the word. Get in the word. Read his word. Dedicate yourself to being in his word. Immerse yourself in his word. Meditate on the day and night. Say, Lord, help me grow. Amen. And cry out to him. And put him first in your life. Amen. 3A. So remember what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. Remember. Remember. Said the church at Ephesus in the same letters, you know, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do what you did at first. Amen. Return to your first love, right? We need to hold on, receive the gospel. We need to hold it fast. He said, keep it. But this gospel, you are be, by this gospel, Paul says, you are being saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed to no purpose. Colossians 1, 20 through 23 says that God will present us, Christ will present us faultless, blameless before the throne if we continue in the faith, right, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's what he goes on to say. First John 2, Verse 23 and following. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that remain, abide, stay, Greek words, meno, in you, which you heard from the beginning. See what you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, and you will abide, you abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Verse 3, be, therefore... If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Wake up, or Jesus will come upon you as a thief. That's how you apply this, man. You become spiritually alert. You look at the signs of times. You focus on Jesus. You recognize when he comes like a thief. Matthew chapter 24. Luke chapter 12. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Revelation chapter 16 is always destruction. It's not a good thing. If he comes like a thief, Revelation 16, 15, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming like a thief, blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men see his shame. Verse five, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and his angels. Praise God. What a glorious day when he confesses our names before the throne, amen. For those of you who are abiding, for those of you who are continuing to be overcomers and trusting Jesus, amen. You're going to hear when he returns or when you die. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's going to be a glorious day. He's going to confess your name because it's going to be in the book. Amen? He's going to find it in the book. Here it is. You know, he already knows it's in the book. Verse 6, the very last verse of that letter. He was to let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That means it applies to us. Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, that's for you and me, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Brothers and sisters, if anyone's name is not written in the book of life, they're thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation 20.15. Make sure your name stays in the book. Amen, just abide in Christ. Continue to trust him and follow him. And for those of you who are not written in the book, you haven't turned to Jesus yet, Guess what it says in Revelation twenty-two, seventeen, 17, the last book in the last chapter, the last book of the Bible, one of the last verses says, the spirit and the bride, that's the Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without costs. I want your name in the book. We want your name in the book. Those of you who are trusting Jesus, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Those of you who are not trusting Jesus, you're going to have weeping for eternity. You'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now is the day of salvation. But Jesus provided the means of salvation for you. He died on the cross for all men, it says. He tasted death for everyone, it says. You need to recognize that you're a sinner, that you're doomed without him, that you've committed crimes against heaven, against the Lord God, and all have sinned and committed these sins against him. But, and that the wages of sin are death. But guess what, man? Jesus... Was nailed to the cross to pay for your sins, and the wrath of God, the Father, fell upon him, so he could absorb your punishment. So if you turn to the Father, you'll be forgiven of your sins, and you'll be declared righteous and justified by faith in him. Amen. And all he calls you to do is to put your repentant faith in him. To put to turn from evil and rebellion and put your faith in him, and he'll save you. And he'll confess your name before the Father. If you die today and you're trusting Jesus, he'll confess your name before the Father. When Stephen died, guess what? He was being martyred to death, right? What did Jesus do? He stood up at the, right, at the Father's right hand and acknowledged Stephen, amen? Let's be faithful in the death like Stephen, amen? Father God, we thank you so much for the bread. We thank you so much for the cup. We thank you for the bread as it's a precious reminder that your son is unleavened with sin, as this bread is unleavened with flour, Father.